and you weren't on the uh, the text, but I, I sent it over to Leon. Uh, I went out for basil, and I came back with one hundred and fifty dollars worth of bourbon. <laughs> podcast i'm your host danny paul with me as always is the vice host leon coventry leon danny happy thursday happy thursday to you we are celebrating a milestone leon i didn't know that 180 days of brown bulletins our first one kicked off on february 1st oh man time flies when you're getting drunk damn right we also have a special guest joining us on the pod tonight mr jones friend of the show how you doing jones Hello, gentlemen. Good to see you both. Good to hear you both. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Gentlemen, let's get into it. What's our brown tonight? Well, tonight, tonight's bourbon selection brought to me by Triple B. And uh, I actually have I have to go two, two bourbons tonight. I've never done that before, but I have to based on the recommendation. So I may be getting pretty blitzed by the end of the show tonight. Are you mixing the first? No, I'm going to do... I'm actually doing an on-air tasting here is what's going to be happening. This is Kentucky's best whiskey, straight bourbon, aged only four years. That's young for whiskey standards. Uh, this is actually made by Lux Row. And this, this particular bourbon is distributed for the, the price of $13-ish at your local uh Trader Joe's and it's allocated to Trader Joe's. The other bourbon is old extra seven barrel strength. Also from Luxro. You can see, unfortunately you listeners can't see, but the bottles look very similar. Same uh, distillery. This is the higher level. It's aged seven years. So I've been told I have to drink these two and then make my vote on which one I like more. Mm. But, uh, What's interesting is that one is so much dramatically cheaper than the other. And uh, this Kentucky's best is, is, is uh, I think, going to be a steal if you can find it at Trader Joe's. So that'll be my two browns for the evening. It's TJ's. Do we call it two buck Lux? Yeah, two bucks Lux. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, I like it. Hashtag trademark. What about you, Jones? What do you got? So I have a new addition. It's the Wilderness Trail Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, so straight bourbon. It's a six-year bourbon. Uh, picked it up um, at my last stop at the Bevmo, and uh, it's nice, very caramely, just a, a nice soothing kind of slow drinker. I like it. Mm-hmm. Winner. Mm-hmm. It's a proof on that thing. One hundred. It's bottled in bond. Ooh. Okay. It's a bottle in bond. Hitting the ceiling. Year. Well done. I, I enjoy it. Sweet mash. Yeah. Danny, what do you got tonight? So I said last week that I wanted to leave the country because we've been spending a lot of time in the United States. So I went back to my beloved Scotland and I picked up a little uh, economical one. So my own two buck lux from Bevmo. This is Spayburn. Speyside single malt scotch whiskey aged 10 years. It's a baby. And as you can see, it's got a very kind of albino tone to it. It is. Very, it's very light. light. Yeah, it's very, very light. So I don't, I don't, I didn't pick it 
for its lightness. I picked it because it was $29 and BevMo is pretty good about jacking up the price. So I can only imagine what this would cost somewhere else. Matured for 10 years in American Oak X bourbon and X sherry. Casks. So you know, it's good. This award-winning single malt was born of Speyside's natural elements embodying the rich, fresh sweetness of the region. There were some other notes regarding spice and vanilla and yada, 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 but uh, let's, uh, let's take this one down here. Yeah, walk us through the uh, the tasting notes there, Danny. Mm. Definitely taste the sherry right away. That's the first hit. Mm. Mm. It's almost like drinking wine. So there is no hug from this bad boy. This one goes straight down as if you're drinking very strong vino. But I like it. Interesting. Hey, it's probably a good whiskey to have with your steak, then I would guess. Mm -hmm. You know what you could do is you could probably hold on to something like this with a cigar because the cigar would bring the smoke and this would probably lighten it out. So it's very, it's delicate. It's, uh, it's different. But I like it. It's the uh, white uh, claw of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm, let's, we're going to call it this. We're going to Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, aged 10 years, and it's got a very extremely light hue. So we're going to call it the white claw of scotch. I like it. <laughs> Hashtag trademark. <laughs> Man, you're making money tonight. All right, homies. Let's get into booze news. You're going to need a couple of things. You're going to need a shot glass. And you're gonna need some whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. And I got news for you. This booze news comes to us courtesy of whiskeyintelligence.com. We didn't want to go with Whiskey Advocate because we've been giving them a lot of love. Not that we don't like them, but we want to mix it around. So we moved on to a different whiskey blog today. We're going to talk about distillery focus. Cardrona New Zealand single malt whiskey at hard to find whiskey. New Zealand whiskey news. WTF, right? family owned and operated led by Desiree Whitaker the exquisite range produced at the distillery is the result of many years of study planning and research Desiree learned her craft from some of the world's masters these experiences shape the very character that is Cardrona distillery and they make themselves a single malt whiskey that they call just hatched 64% alcohol by volume they also make a Growing Wings, 65% by volume. And there's a variety, a couple varieties of Growing Wings. And these are all based in New Zealand. So for those of you Lord of the Rings fans, this is Shire Whiskey at its finest. <laughs> Never had New Zealand whiskey. Didn't even know that was a thing. No. Makes sense, though. Probably. But, you know, that big island next to them, I know they drink a lot of beer. So um, and wine and wine. Do they? Okay. Wine. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not really aware of Australian brown. That ought to be yeah. a fun field study someday. All the spirits produced at this distillery are created using pure alpine water sourced directly from the heart of Mount Cardrona in New Zealand's <laughs> Southern Alps. Seasonal ingredients are sourced locally to give an unparalleled signature taste. And the listing here is. 80, well, it looks like pounds. Is that the pound symbol, Jones? What do you think? Yep. That's a pound. 135, upwards of 137 pounds per bottle. Natural cask strength, hard to find whiskey. That's kind of exciting. New Zealand whiskey from the Shire. Good. I look for it. And I like the bottle shape. That's a thing for me. I think if you, if you care about your whiskey, you're going to put it in a decent 
marketing package for me to buy. And that that's a good looking bottle. Yeah. For those of you at home, it's a cylinder, but the cylinder at the base is thinner than the cylinder towards the middle. And then you get into the neck and the neck actually has a bit of a bulge to it. And of course we use natural corks because this is the good stuff. That's the dad bod bottle. Yep. I'll go with that. <laughs> dad bod bottle. Trademark. There are Trademark. Uh, three varieties of growing wings and then the just hatched. So if you're out and about and you're interested in some whiskey from the Shire, Cardrona single malt whiskey. That's good. And that wraps up booze news. Cardrona. I'll tell you the, the ad, if you go on their magic 17 or 23 or wherever we're at now, 23 magic 23, go on there. It looks the whole advertising campaign looks very outdoorsy, very, it looks like a wine until you get down to the bottom and you're like, oh, like they're selling brown, not wine. So it looks good for it. Now I got to go looking for it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into headlines. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. All right, Mr. Jones brought this up last week, so I thought it was interesting for us to explore this. Uh, headlines today, headline comes from some businessinsider.com. The U.S. shipping crisis is not going away as 33 cargo ships float off the coast of L.A. waiting to dock. <laughs> Why is 33 significant? Because the record is 38 back in January. If you uh, are anywhere in the Los Angeles area, head a little bit towards the southern part of the city and just look out into the ocean and you'll see a gigantic spread of container ships waiting. And confirm that today. Saw it personally today. Current port delays are near a record high. On Friday, 33 ships were anchored off the coast waiting for a spot to open up to unload at Los Angeles and Long Beach, according to data from the Marine Exchange of Southern California. California ports in Los Angeles and Long Beach account for about one-third of United States imports. These ports operate as a primary source of imports from China and have been heavily congested for months. Southern California ports are facing more congestion than ever. According to Kip Lutit, executive director of the Marine Exchange. The normal number of container ships at anchor is between zero and one. Some of the container ships have been waiting off the shore for weeks, pushing back delivery dates and driving up the cost of transportation. Of the ships waiting to dock, half of them are what Marine Exchange calls mega container ships or ships with the carrying capacity of 10,000 TEUs. Mr. Jones, you told us what a TEU is. 12-foot equivalent unit. So what that simply is is that there's a, a set... It's containerization, really, but a container ship is a set size so that it can be standardized across the world. So 20,000 or 10,000 TEUs is 20-foot containers, so it's 10,000 equivalent to 20-foot containers, but usually containers are 40-foot or above in size. So what this is, is it has a tremendous amount of cargo that's sitting off the shores, which is then, if you think about it, all those containers have a place to go. And then from that place to go, it gets to get it filled up and then to go basically back out again. So I'll just think, you know, if you're really looking for that real special toy from China next uh, Christmas, yeah, take a rain check. It's going to be difficult to get stuff. 
here's another little tidbit, which isn't in here, but uh, Nike saw that this was going to be a problem. And Nike basically bought up all uh, cargo and passenger jet transportation. So, you know, the belly of the plane, they took it all up. So they make sure that their shoes can hit uh, the shelves for Christmas. Oh, neat tip. Wow. Big problem. Big problem. Big problem, guys. Big. Huge. Uh, Ludit goes on to say, part of the problem is these ships are double or triple the size of the ships we were seeing 10 or 15 years ago. They take longer to unload. You need more trucks, more trains, more warehouses to put the cargo in. The ships carry millions of dollars worth of popular imports, including furniture, auto parts, clothes, electronics, and plastics, according to data from the Port of Los Angeles. Supplies of these materials could be heavily depleted in the U.S. due to the backlog of ships. So how does this work? I mean, I'm from the aviation industry and before you take off, you know where you're going to land and you know, there's a spot for you when you land. How does it, how do you carry 10,000 TEUs across the Pacific ocean and not have a slot that you're trying to hit from a timing perspective? I don't don't understand logistically, how can they be that backwards? I w- why would you even move it? I bet there is if if you're if that's what is it say three weeks some of these ships mm-hmm. are out there. Yeah, I mean, are we just to assume that nothing on that ship is perishable? Because what, what's the life of the things that are on there? Well, that's an excellent question. Are, yeah, I mean, well, if you're if you're carrying produce, sit. clearly that's going to be done, right? No, not necessarily because produce can be manipulated with gas. So it stays fresher for longer. And then the second thing is it's all refrigerated units. So they're all refri units that are inside there. So they're all plugged in. It's not like it's sitting in a hot sun, but uh, you know, there's containers that don't. So like nuts or something like that isn't perishable, but if cashews are coming from Vietnam or um, you know, walnuts coming from the Middle East, you know, they're not, not going to make basically much of a difference. You can also assume that they picked them early knowing that they would ripen during the voyage. That's what the gas is for. The gas stops, right? That's what they do for apples. But uh, you get apples year round. Uh, the article goes on to say the boats waiting outside of the port, which carry tens of thousands of shipping containers, are adding to a global container shortage. As a result, customers are already seeing the impact of the delays. They're facing rising prices and limited options as commodities become increasingly difficult to obtain and produce due to the port delays. Companies are being increasingly forced to compete for containers and delivery dates. Several major restaurants have issued warnings that they are running short on ingredients and hiking prices. Earlier this week, Taco Bell, Chipotle, and Starbucks customers reported multiple locations were running low on key menu items. So uh, we talked about this back in episode 31 or 32, Leon, about the idea of you can't get chlorine, you can't get steel, you can't get plywood. If any of this stuff is coming from outside the United States, it could be on one of these boats. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, I, I really feel bad. I, I, you, you were, you were talking about it earlier that a lot of these, a lot of these issues could be attributed to the size of the ships and they're way bigger. But I also think, and they're not calling it out here, people need to get their ass to work. (laughs) Right. I think. I think that's a huge, I mean, I'm telling you as a Southern Californian right now, I know you guys are in different parts of different States, but you go anywhere here and it says help wanted out there. I don't care what side of the political fence you are on. We're not in a good state when nobody can find help, but nobody's working. 
that that's a that's a bad state to be in and that's where we're at right now i think that would apply to warehouse workers and maybe truck drivers i don't how about know about dock workers i don't know how about dock, dock workers, workers? Do extremely well well, get their ass to work. An entry-level longshoreman with less than one year's experience can expect to earn an average total compensation, including tips, bonus, overtime pay of $20 based on 22 salaries. Early career longshoreman with one to four years of experience earns an average total compensation of $22.69 based on 69 different salaries. Average longshore salary is about $51,000 based on who you talk to. So it's not necessarily that the dock workers are sitting at home collecting unemployment. They probably collect just as much on the dock but the the great part well i guess that's depends on who you talk to but you know when the dock showmen strike they're usually successful oh yeah a lot of leverage you, you bring up one other point though that one of the reasons that there is a delay is that the ports are haven't been able to keep up with the size of the ships that have been coming in mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're also constrained on how much they can take off so uh, recent news is, you know, this new infrastructure bill, they've allotted $17 billion for ports and waterway maintenance. So, you know, there's an infrastructure plan to fix the problem, but it's not a short, it's not going to happen. For ports Where's that time. plan coming from? Which this plan is, is that? This is the infrastructure bill that currently is going to Congress right now. Once it's going to Congress, $1 trillion. Uh, yeah. So this is in the 550. <laughs> So, I mean, there are, there are some boats out there that Shit. are ports. <sighs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm there sneezing. are some, port, some boats out there that our ports simply can't handle. Like, I remember reading about that. I remember reading that some of the East Coast ports simply can't handle the biggest boats. Uh, I think Seattle had to do a complete overhaul in order to fit these gigantic boats. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an issue. If you used to be able to flip a certain size boat in a given amount of time, then exactly what you're talking about, Leon, you could forecast your run rate. But if these boats are bigger, then, you know, you simply don't have the space. And what how did this catch boat? them off guard? How did this catch them off guard? I think that's was the aviation thousand dollar question. How did aviation figure this out when they were building the 380? The A380, if you're not familiar with it, it's a double-decker airplane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's got four engines. Each one of those engines, you could put a double-deck. No, no, this is Airbus A380. The Dreamliner is a Boeing product. Got it. It's okay. only got two engines, but the 380... Qantas flies them right. It's four engines. You put the double decker bus inside each one of those engines. This thing is enormous. And three or four years before it, the first one ever come up came off the line. Airports across the world, especially the big ones, the the SeaTax and the the uh, Atlanta Hartfield and the you know London uh, uh, Heathrow's, they were all over this, right? Dubai, all over this. They knew what was coming, and they spent the next three to four years widening their runways and taxiways so that they accommodate this aircraft and creating double and triple decker uh, jetways and larger beltways, you know, all the things that infrastructure and logistics that require a plane of this size to land, right? You can't just use one jetway. Now, when it's a double decker, it'll take it 45 minutes to unload that airplane. So they were smart. They were thinking about that. And I won't tell you right now this not necessarily everyone in the aviation industry is the most brilliant in the world, but they saw it coming and they started planning for it. How did they not see these giant mega ships? How did they sneak up on them? So somebody needs to be, you know, held accountable for sleeping at the wheel when these giant 
boats. They didn't just show up out of nowhere. I promise you that. These did not just show up. No, they, it, they didn't have time to do the upgrade. That's what that's what the article that I'm reading right now. They just haven't been able uh, to. I think that's a key question, though. To handle the larger vessels and the larger container exchanges. It sounds like an excuse to me. Uh-huh. Sorry, I'm a pessimist <laughs> there, Jones. I think that people uh, were asleep at the wheel and weren't trying. They, uh, I, I don't know. I don't buy it. I think that there's too much money at stake. And I think that um, it's bullshit leverage that these, these ports, they should have been better. There's a lot more money at stake here (laughs) and they screwed it up. And now they're saying we're not prepared for them and trying to blame anything they can bigger ships, uh, whatever. Right. I, 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 I just don't buy it. People are smarter now. Automation's faster now. Analytics are better than they've ever been. We have machines like Watson that think for us. They fucked up. That's what this is. <laughs> Sounds like sorry for a future Leon Lowe's to me. <laughs> well, I give you plenty of material, Danny. I'm opinionated. Well, that wraps up headlines. Let's move on to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Today's crank file comes to us from popular science, popside.com. Some skyscrapers are so shiny, they turn into death rays, also known as fry scrapers. The article starts, what's the weirdest thing you learned this week? Well, whatever it is, we promise you'll have an even weirder answer. If you listen to PopSize hit podcast, the weirdest thing I learned this week, which I've actually checked out. It's pretty good. Uh, if you like the stories in this post, we guarantee you love the show. This week's episode is all about things that are hot. Fact. Some skyscrapers are so shiny, they turn into death rays. In 2013, a London skyscraper known as the Walkie Talkie Building made its mark on its neighborhood in an unusual way. Sunlight bouncing off the topmost floors of the bulbous facade melted cars on the street below. At the peak of its shine, the ray emitted 15 times as much solar radiation as would usually be found on the ground, enough to hurt any humans unlucky enough to cross its path. Strangely, though, this was not the first time the so-called Fryscrapers architect had set a town alight. The Vidara in Las Vegas, only a few years earlier, reflected rays so powerful they singed guests' hair on the pool deck below. This was such a persistent problem that the hotel installed an army of giant umbrellas to shield swimmers and sunbathers. The walkie-talkie now has a shield in place to provide a similar fix. That's amazing. I've never heard that before. Moron. <laughs> are you saying i'm the moron or no the architect's a fucking oh. moron oh whoa let's let's go swing in here no i'm saying like people Stop build it. these skyscrapers where you know they have to take into account heat and expansion and all these things and he puts a glass on there and doesn't realize oh let me see if i was a kid who basically burnt ants as a kid is this going to be a problem a fucking moron you know what's interesting though you know the cities you you hear this and when you've ever lived in a city or just in the out in the suburbs that the temperature and the climate of the city itself is very different than the suburbs and everything outside of it i experienced this in columbus all the time where weather would impact the surrounding area, but it never hit the city because the city typically ran, you know, four to eight degrees hotter than 
than the suburbs around it. So whatever fog layer was hitting everybody else or whatever, we're going to hit that dew point. It didn't hit the city because it's really its own microclimate because these buildings are, are such big reflectors of heat. Uh, and I, I guess it makes sense to me that this is a possibility, but I've never seen it, especially to the point where it singes people's hair. That's fascinating. It sounds a little bit like when we used to use a magnifying glass to burn ants as kids. I mean, it really focuses yeah. the light to such a degree that it's, it's again, it's, it's causing extra solar yeah, radiation. Like, why, why would you build a building and not taking into account the sun? <laughs> I mean, who's an idiot? Like every person in Vegas knew where to put a pool because we got to, we got to maximize the amount of sunlight. I just think it's just stupid. The fact is they don't take that into account, like the movement of the sun. That's just, well, I mean, as a wow. as a new father, Jones, you're going to learn that even if you're in the shade next to the pool, you'll get burned. Oh, no. You got to make sure you oh. lube up the kids, even if they stay in the shade, because the reflection yeah. off the water will also burn them. The article goes yeah. on to say many other buildings dotted around the globe have spurred similarly scorching scenes. Computer assisted models have since revealed just how dangerous these rays can be, spurring physicists to sound alarms about the reflectivity of our modern structures and implore architects to design buildings that sweat the exterior temperature as much as the interior one. So, ladies and gentlemen, next time you're visiting a city, as we're all filing back into cities now, uh, watch out for shiny buildings because they might hurt you. Uh, can I break in for a news news bulletin? I'm on bourbon number two now. Yes. I know, every, I know all the listeners out there are very excited to hear the comparison. You have some time uh, left if you want to break into the difference between one and two. Yeah, Triple B was absolutely right. The, the two needed to be tasted side by side. They have a lot of similarities in character, but the old extra seven versus the Kentucky's best that came from TJ's, uh, way spicier. Light you up, boy. Let me tell you. And I didn't even realize it until now. The old extra seven is 117 proof and the Kentucky's best is 80 proof. So that'll, I'm glad this one's coming second. But are they labeled as bourbons or just whiskeys? Uh, they're labeled as uh, one. Yep. They're both labeled as bourbon, bourbon okay. whiskey. Yeah, bourbon whiskey. Pushing it. Bourbon's not supposed to go beyond a certain percentage. If you remember from an earlier episode. Yeah. 117 proof Ken, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, 750 milliliters. That's how God they're damn. advertising it. Well done, sir. All right. Well, that wraps up the crank file. Uh, crank file. <laughs> Sorry. It's powerful stuff. Let's get <laughs> Let's get on. Uh, let's get on to our favorite state because Florida. Because anything goes to Florida, baby, let the good times roll. Because anything goes to Florida, come on down and do your worst. Oh, Florida, the U.S.'s penis. Leon contributed this one. It comes to us from the New York Post. Florida man shoots himself while showing off gun in bar. Let that one hang there. An unidentified Florida man shot himself while showing off his gun at O'Reilly's Uptown Tavern in Pensacola, Florida. Just <laughs> pause for that. Hold my bear. Check out this here. A man showing off his new gun to patrons in a Florida bar ended up shooting himself with the weapon instead, according to reports. The unidentified knucklehead was inside O'Reilly's Uptown Tavern in Pensacola at 11 p.m. Thursday 
when he pulled out the gun to show it to a man and woman at the bar, Pensacola News Journal reported Friday. The man then made a quick motion to put the gun into an imaginary holster under his shoulder when the gun went off and a bullet struck his torso. The outlet reported. This, I, this is sitcom uh, stuff. The fact <laughs> that it happens in real life is awesome how, how else would you shoot yourself right you can see maybe shoot you in the foot maybe shoot you in the leg like didn't a football player shoot himself in the leg or something was it did burris do it in a new york nightclub like it's easy to do in the lower extremities but this guy was putting it into a fake shoulder holster and st- that's the ribs like he popped himself in a bad spot let's, let's break this down let's <laughs> let's break this down for a minute first of all you're in the state of florida you're already you're already behind strike the eight one. ball. Strike one. You're in a bar. Strike two. I wasn't drunk in a bar. I, I was drunk in public. I was drunk in the bar. They threw me into public. Arrest them. No, they're in a bar. Then this guy brings out the gun, as people do, to show off to a man and woman because clearly they're going to be impressed in the bar. <laughs> Then he puts it in his invisible holster and shoots himself in the torso. I, I don't see the problem here. I mean, this is natural selection at its, at its best. This is why it exists. Natural consequences. Love it. Uh, article goes on to say, quote from bar manager Warren Sonnen. He told the Pensacola News Journal, I don't know if he was pretending to be a badass or something, but from what I can tell, it was completely by accident. <laughs> the accent's necessary. <laughs> Cops on routine patrol were flagged down outside the bar after the shooting. However, the wounded man left the bar, checked himself into a local hospital before cops got to the scene. Police said Friday they were still trying to determine if charges would be filed. The man's condition was not immediately known. His condition is a moron. That's his condition. And he will have to live with this for the rest of his short life. I wonder if he had a mullet. <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> obviously, he has a mullet. Well, business in the front, party in the back, right? Sounds about right. Heavy, heavy right, plumage. Right. For real. <laughs> there's, a, there's a 50% chance he was wearing a Joe Dirt shirt. Absolutely. Well, you know it didn't have sleeves. It's in Pensacola. Yeah, no sleeves. And for real. something he was wearing had camo on it. That, had, that was an absolute. It was, it was his, his hat. hat. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, thank you again to the great state of Florida, Sunshine State. The state that che- just keeps on giving. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's the mileage. So for today's parenting discussion, I thought I would touch on a topic that I think most, if not all parents eventually come to in the life of having small children. And my kids want a dog. Now I grew up with a dog. You guys grew up with dogs. You understand what this experience is. You know that the science has proven that dogs are wonderful. Occupational therapists have dogs. Office dogs are good. Dogs lower your stress levels. They provide numerous health benefits 
of course, we have to consider one, the dog's welfare. Is this dog going to be tortured by us, you know, by no intentional means of our own, but two, what is the right dog for you? What is the right dog for your family? Do you have children? How often do you want to feed this thing? How often do you want to exercise this thing? You know, can the dog be left alone? So on and so forth. So uh, I'm at a, I'm at a website that looks at dogs in the state of Arizona and they have a lot of different breeds here. And as I scroll through these, I probably know 40% of them. Mm-hmm. You guys want to sound off on any of these dogs? Well, you, you know, and I'm pretty sure that I brought it up at some point that one of my earliest careers was, and what I feel is a complete waste of knowledge at this point is I spent uh, three years in, uh, in at PetSmart. I don't mind dropping the name. I did. I ran the PetSmart. So I have this wealth of, of knowledge about animals and pets in general that, uh, really has gone completely to waste at this point, but nearly every breed that you're rattling through right now, I've seen and, uh, and handled. And I think the ones that I enjoy the most as a father now, and, uh, as someone that likes to keep the house, uh, dust bunny free, if I can, Mm -hmm. are the, the shed free dogs Mm -hmm. and the hypoallergenic ones. And, uh, you know, that is, that is such an American elitist thing to say, but there's a lot of truth there because right now I have two dogs that are not meeting that qualification. Mm -hmm. I love them to both. I love them both with all my heart. They're both mutts from the pound, by the way, rescue a dog rescue a dog, rescue a dog. Don't go out there to these puppy mills. No Be better than that. Okay. Um, but these dogs I love, but I have to every other day I am trying to pick up these giant tumbleweeds of shedding hair around here. And I'm pretty sure I swallow about a pound of dog hair a night in my room. So whilst uh, you sleep, whilst I sleep, but I love them to death. They're actually, I'm, as I sit up here in the office doing the show, both of them are sitting, are sleeping at my feet underneath the desk, waiting oh. for the show to end. They, they love them, their daddy time. And there is a million health benefits because this is the parenting section. I would love to tell this story very quickly. Do it. Uh, when we brought bell, actually, let me, I'll back up a little bit two dogs, right? Both of them in their middle age range at this point, one was seven, one was nine. And the uh, sweet, sweet dogs sleep in the room with us, you know, what have you. Uh, And triple B's water broke in the middle of the night. So of course we pack it up. We knew this was coming. Of course she was five weeks early, grab our, our hospital bag and off we go call the grandparents to be we're on our way to the hospital. Please go take care of the dogs. What have you have the baby father-in-law calls later and says, you wouldn't believe it. Your dogs completely shredded your uh, mattress pad. (sighs) Never done that ever. That's not a thing they've ever done. We have one of those like egg crate type, you know, memory foam, almost type pads on top of the mattress. And it must've soaked up that embiotic fluid and the dog shredded it. I don't know why it was totally weird. They sniffed it out and it stressed them out and uh, it was never, never done anything like it before or after just that night. So, you know, and when we brought bell home, uh, 
that night. The, uh, uh, the older dog was actually super protective of her, even to me, like you get away from her, you know, which I thought was fascinating. And eventually he got sick of the crying baby, but early on he was super, super protective. Natural protective instinct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. Uh, I recommend getting these. If you're going to get a dog and you haven't had a kid yet, it does make sense to get the dog first uh, in a lot of ways because it gets them a little bit acclimated to it. Now it doesn't mean you can't get one after it's just, you're going to have to deal with a little bit more, you know, you don't want your toddler picking up the poop they just dropped because they're not potty trained and you don't want them. Uh, but puppies, puppies and babies are cute. So I don't know. I don't, I, I couldn't tell you what to do other than the easier way. I think if you're looking for the easier route dog first, then baby, that's my ten, two cents. Jones, what do you think? Oh, I think, um, dogs provide for this being the parenting segment, a, a great thing for children. It's a, it's a companion. It's a protection. Um, lots of times you see a lot of dogs out there that protect children in play areas and so forth. Um, I, uh, I grew up with dogs. I was an Australian shepherd, uh, home in Wells Labradors and they're wonderful dogs with kids. I think they also then eventually is, they, the children get older, it gives them responsibility. As to your point, you know, you have older kids and not a dog yet. It becomes a, uh, a point of, you know, learning and chores and responsibility for children. Now, eventually, let's be honest, you're the one in the backyard cleaning up the poop, buying dog food, cleaning up after them, you know, after they are screaming, daddy, daddy, I just want a dog. I want a dog so bad. Thank you. But all that said, is it, um, Dogs are a great thing to have around the house. They just help you too. You have a stressful day. You look at a dog's face. You can't feel mad or upset. It's they're a wonderful companion. Um, you know, there's a lot of breeds out there that fit the person. Um, I am an Australian Shepherd fan. That is not a dog for every house. You need room. You need energy. These dogs are absolutely full of spunk, and so you need a lot to give them. The first. There are plenty of breeds out there that are more cuddly and fun and uh, the golden retrievers, the Labradors and so forth. But definitely anyone's looking to get a dog, do your research about the dog's behavior, find what fits for you and um, try to first, you know, go to the pound and adopt a dog. There are a lot of dogs out there that believe it or not, the rescues can be a wonderful place for a wonderful companion. Um, of, a, of an animal that gets introduced to your house. It doesn't have to be a pure breed, but it can be a mixture breed, which can be the best of both worlds. Uh, the do, the doodles is, Leon was saying, is a, a wonderful place to start too. The, uh, uh, if you get a poodle, you get a poodle. When you get a poodle and a Labrador, that's a little bit more tolerable. I don't know if anybody's around poodles. Poodles are a tough breed, man. They are stubborn and just, ugh. but Labradors are great. So get a Labradoodle. Just all things to think about. Labradoodles come very highly recommended from multiple people that I've talked to. Uh, on the subject of one dog or two, any thoughts on that? Two. Two. Got to get two. Got to get two. for the dogs, right? Not for you? It's for the dogs. It's for, it's the, for dogs. the dogs. Because you can't be around 24-7 and it really does help. Um, now, try to get two dogs hopefully the same age because if you've ever seen a dog has to go through the withdrawals of a um 
of losing its partner. It's pretty sad. So it's hard. So you need to be balanced uh, about what you're going to do. Dogs are going to latch on to their companion animals. So they're going to need to have that companion, whether it's coming from another breed or human. Danny, you're in the market. What size are you looking for and why? So I'm looking at these individual dogs and what they're giving here is they have the group, the average weight, the personality traits, the country of origin and the coat. Now the coat is clearly an important thing because uh, the wife likes a clean household. I myself am somewhere in the range of a 15 to 40 pound dog. I like the medium sized dogs. I want it to be kind of couchable yet. I want to be able to run with them. I want to be able to play with them in the backyard. So I don't want a lap dog. I certainly don't want a purse dog, but where we're kind of trying to draw the line is at what point does this dog need so much exercise that we can't provide that? At what point does this dog make a mess everywhere? So of course, number one go-to as you guys obviously know is cattle dog. We, we want bluey. We want to recreate bluey at home. Uh, challenge with a dog like this is we got a nice big yard, but we don't necessarily have the time energy to be providing this dog with the exercise it needs. The other thing that's interesting about this is because it's a herding dog, the dog can uh, nip or bite at their target. So Man. it's a beautiful dog. I've loved it ever since I saw the, the road warrior. Uh, but you know, you got to find a dog that's, that's right for your house. So when you're looking at all the different, there's like 400 breeds of dogs. So what exactly do you get that satisfies cuteness, playful, intelligent, clean, manageable? Let me chime in on that that nipping thing. So I have a mutt that has a lot of that dog in it. Looks just like it, just smaller. Uh, same high energy, same personality and does herd. I always yell at her and say, stop hurting me. You know, when it's time for her to go get dinner, she will push me into the section that I need to get her food. And she will, uh, and she has nipped bell, no less than 10 times, but it doesn't hurt her. It just scares Bell enough to say back off. Right. It's not a, it's not what you, it's not a, a, she's not biting. It's very, it's a very clear get away from me. It's a, it's a motivational <laughs> technique. Yeah, it works. Right. Cause if, if they were hurting them, they wouldn't let them around their sheep either. Right. You can't have right. bloody sheep everywhere. Right. So they don't, it doesn't actually hurt, but it'll scare the, the dickens out of you if you're if you're not aware of what's happening. Their aim is actually amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did you not bite her when you just made that angry face and snap? Yeah. But uh, it's and of course, we we yell at her when it happens, like, don't do that. Right. Whatever. She knows it's bad. And, then, you know, my daughter knows it's bad and everything <laughs> goes together. But I wouldn't let that scare you off, especially with the age of your kids. I don't think that'll be an issue, honestly. The, uh, the reigning champion of the friendly recommendation is the Labradoodle, which I think Jones pointed to earlier. It has the affectionate temperament of a Labrador uh, with the cuddly kind of curly hairedness of the poodle. So it's not neurotic like the poodle and it's not kind of lumbering and, and big like most labs are. So you can find a smaller version of a really, really good dog 
that's got some scruffiness to them. So lab, Labradoodles are, are uh, certainly within the range. Although if you're thinking about an average weight of 50 to 65 pounds, depending on the breed, that's kind of pushing it. So we're looking at somewhere around a 30 to 40 pound dog, maybe even a little less than that if necessary. But again, it'll have a lot to do with what's available. And I'm personally a pound guy as well. I'm not interested in a pure breed dog if we can find what we're looking for. Um, but I, I also am a fan of the get two for the dog's sake. Yep. Not for the human sake. Mm -hmm. You'll have a happier dog for sure. Dogs. Excellent uh, insight, gentlemen. Thank you so much. I think this was, this was good for everybody involved. I hope uh, everybody at home is, is enjoying this. If you want to get a dog, go for two, try and get them around the same age, try and make sure that they fit the household and don't be scared off by some of their more nuanced characteristics because every breed is different. And I think that wraps us up for parenting. All right, my friends, strap in, seatbelt, shoulder harness, airbags, get ready to go because it's time for Leon Loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, tonight's Leon Loathes is going to be around you. You, the listeners, you, the people out there that are not taking care of our elderly population. Listen to me. You out there need to understand that you are a prettiest. You like the cutest things. You like babies. You want to hold nice, cute babies. You want to spend more time with babies. But then when they get old, wrinkly and smell, you just throw them out the window. You don't hang out with them. You don't call them. You don't check in on them. It's such a chore to talk to this elderly population. I got a secret for you all. You're going to get old, hopefully. And you know what? You're, what's going to happen? Everyone you love will not want to talk to you because you ramble on and you're ugly and you smell. That's what's happening right now to our elderly population. And it's bullshit. You need to take care of these people. They have something to say. Go, I, I have a tremendous opportunity now to spend more time with seniors. And some of the stuff they talk about is BS. But go talk to them. Their stories are real. They have some really interesting things to say. If, some, if you're in... Uh, an airplane or a train or a, something with, uh, you know, mass uh, transportation, give up your seat to these people. Stop pretending that they don't exist and that you can just turn your back on elderly people. When did this happen? When did it happen in our society that we just discard them and send them to Florida and never think about them again? That's, that's what I want to know. I, I want to know when did we start or stop respecting our elders and just discard them off to the left. Think about all of you on, uh, that are listening right now. When's the last time you talked to your grandparent? Do you talk to them enough? Are you going to regret it when they're not there anymore? And you haven't talked to them enough. Cause my, cause I tell you right now, you will, right? Every time anyone loses a grandparent, they wish they had more time with them. And if you have an opportunity, you know, maybe not during COVID let's let this pass by, but at the end of the day, these there's people that are stuck in these homes, these people that are in, you know, active senior communities that, you know, really funny 
hilarious great stories knowledge you can learn from these people are out there and we just don't respect them anymore and we don't give enough give them the the time they they really deserve and i and i've been noticing it more and more over the last year and a half of my life and i i really am starting to feel it and it's pissing me off now that this is this is what we've become as a society and once you hit a certain age and you're done you're done we don't we don't have anything else to do with you and i'm, I'm sick of it uh so that that's my leon lowe's tonight you know treat treat seniors better if you have any seniors in your life mother-in-law grandmother-in-law grandfather-in-law you uh you, you knew somebody that you grew up with maybe an old boss you know go visit them go talk to them pick their brain that you have a lot to learn from them, right? There's, we've talked about it in the past, Danny, that you have three stages in life, right? The first stage is the growing stage, the learning stage, right? And that's from when you're zero years old until you're about, and eh, let's call it 21. You're learning, you're, you're taking in information, you're becoming the person you're going to be for the rest of your life. Then from like 21 to let's call it 60, you're in your earning years. That's when you're the, the, your most productive part to society, right? You're, you're in the meat of your careers. Uh, you're either in the beginning, middle or end of your careers, but you are working hard. And then once you get past that 60, it's the give back stage, right? That's when you're like, I learned a lot of shit in my day. I'm going to pass that down. So these people that are behind me don't make the same dumb mistakes that I made. And that's, that's, getting lost right we are making a lot of the same dumb mistakes over and over and we're not listening to these people anymore we're just throwing them aside like you don't understand the stresses of my era you know they trust me they do right it may not have shown up on twitter but they understand and uh you know go talk to one go pick their brain go figure out life is life right and they they lived a different era and it's really really important that we don't just blow them off anymore so that's that's my leon lowe's tonight well said my man okay amen you can always tell a person by how they treat the waiter but you can also find out exactly what their character is and how they treat dogs and old people mm -hmm. and uh, one of the things that i'm very adamant about is along the lines of what you're saying is i want my children to spend as much time with their grandparents as they can because I grew up without one of them and two more left within my lifetime. And I got one left and you're right. You feel that kind of, did I spend enough time with them? Did I say everything that there was to say? Did I learn as much as I could have learned? Which the answer is no. And uh, there's a lot of regret that comes with that. So excellent, excellent rant tonight, my man. I think you nailed it. I'll only add that I don't have any grandparents. So to have that conversation is no more. So I think it's interesting to look back now and go, I wish I could, I don't know, child raising kind of what were the child raising of my grandparents on my parents and how did they go one way or another? It's just kind of interesting. It's a conversation I can't have. So absolutely speak to your grandparents, ask them about parenting. They could be really fascinating. What did you do this and how did you do that? Obviously times have changed. You know, but it's always interesting to see what their perspectives were. Hot damn. Hot damn. Well done, Leon. 
We'll be right back. Welcome back. To close out tonight, I wanted to give a little bit of love because we couldn't do it last episode. We ran out of time. Uh, but I think we definitely want to talk about it this time. Uh, Marcel Theo Hall, born 1964, died July 16th, 2021, known professionally as Biz Marquis. American rapper, singer, songwriter, DJ, record producer, best known for Just a Friend. Marquis was sometimes referred to as the clown prince of hip hop. Died due to complications with diabetes. You will be missed, Biz. You will be missed. He will be missed. And if you are a Twitter follower, anyone that met that man really misses him already. He had to, I've, I, I wish I had the opportunity to see him. Uh, obviously I'm too much of a peon to be his friend, but he, uh, everyone that's ever come into contact with him has nothing but positive things to say about him. So yeah, he will be missed. Uh, big loss. Uh, see here, five studio albums. Going off in 88, The Biz Never Sleeps in 89, I Need a Haircut in 91, All Samples Cleared in 93, and Weekend Warrior in 2003. Uh, popular singles, Make the Music With Your Mouth, Vapors, Just a Friend, Comes Around, Goes Around, Let Me Turn You On, and Young Girl Blues. Biz Marquis was 57. 57. Rest in peace. Yep. Rest in peace, Biz. Big bucket of wind. Big bucket of win. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, boys, that's our show for this week. Any final thoughts before we close off? Drink more. Try a from bourbon. Try something new. Try something new. I like that. Way to go, Jumps. We're going to continue the world tour as far as my brown is concerned. We jump back into Scotland this week, and I'm going to jump over to Japan next week. Ooh. I challenge all of you out there to expand your horizons with your brown. The friend of the show, Leon's wife, Triple B, Busty Bourbon Batch on Instagram, recently revealed that she tried something that was not bourbon. And of course, I applauded that. And she said, why? What are you talking about? And I said, girlfriend, spread your wings. Get out there. There's lots of good stuff. And she said, yes, of course. <laughs> but bourbon is the best. So <laughs> it is perfectly fine to have a number one, but you should also have a two, three, four, five, and six. So ladies and gentlemen, get out there, try lots of different things, find your flavor, find your brown. Your brown is who you are and make it special. Till next week. Till next week, boys. Nice talking to you. Thank uh, you, friend of the show, Mr. Jumps, for showing up. We always like to have friends of the show. Good to see you, gentlemen. Till next My glass time. is empty. Until next week. Till next week. Take care, boys. Come on. I'm not even going for it. This is what I'm going to say. You, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend. And you say he's just a friend.